We are in Psalm 18 and we just got started on it last week because we are taking a good deal of our class time right now to help plan for the future and work towards the future. So that means we're going a little bit slower than normal, if that's possible. And uh, so last week we began looking at Psalm 18 and really all we got done was the introductory part. (laughs) We actually just looked a little bit at verse one, but primarily we looked at the introduction to Psalm 18 and and uh, and a number of you weren't here last week for various reasons, traveling and that sort of thing. Uh, so let's uh, just very quickly and very briefly for those of you who were here, what do you remember that we talked about last week? I don't know, were any of you here last week? <laughs> what are some of the points we made? Okay, the Psalm of David, what does that mean? What does that lead us to reflect on? Okay, we, we, uh, we spent some time just talking about David. You know, we, we oftentimes, you know, David comes up in our, you know, in our discussions. Uh, if we're Christians, if we go to church, we talk about David a lot. But last week we talked about uh, not just the fact that he wrote the psalm, but what was David like? What do we know about him? Bob mentioned that he was apparently an artistic, a creative type of person. What else do we know about him? How did he grow up? Okay, yeah. He was a shepherd. He is, is, uh, uh, which was, of course, very common in that day. But uh, in his young years, as a probably apparently as a young boy, and then as a uh, as a teenager and a young man, he spent many, many, many days and nights out in the fields, out in nature, as he tended the sheep. Uh, so he's very he's very in touch with nature. And so as you read the Psalms, as you read David, the Psalms that David wrote, you you just get a lot of a lot of uh, pictures and metaphors and uh, and uh, and discussion about nature and and things in nature and that sort of thing. And we get a lot of it in this psalm. Okay, what else about David? He's kind of artistic. He's uh, a naturalist in the good sense of the word. Loved nature. Was out in nature a lot. What else about him? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. David had a lot of problems in his life. He had a lot of struggles in his life. He he and and we actually took some time last week and we went very quickly through uh through a good part of 1 Samuel the story of of Saul's uh, King Saul's pursuit of David in an attempt to kill him. And we discovered that that went on for a considerable period of time. I was trying to do some research this morning to find out exactly how long it went on. And, and people are all over the map and for how long they think it went on. But it seems like a good, reasonable time frame to think of. That probably somewhere maybe around six, eight, ten years or so that Saul was pursuing David, trying to kill him. That's a long time to be running for your life. <laughs> okay, And uh, so he spent a long time doing that. And that was only one incident in his life where he had some great enemy. 
uh, that was uh, pursuing him or that he had to fight against or whatever. What else? He had flaws, but he seemed to be an actual leader. Okay, good. Yeah, he yeah he did did seem to be a leader. He was people were drawn to him. Uh, they just uh, you know in the story. Uh, of his flight from David, just period, uh, as time went on, more and more people were drawn to him. Of course, sometimes you kind of wonder about the people because in the Scripture it says everybody who was in distress and everybody who was in trouble and everybody who was in debt came to David. So, uh, so he, uh, he drew quite, a, quite an interesting crowd of people around him. What else? Okay, he was a warrior. We, you know, that just kind of goes with the territory. We find, you know, it starts, of course, with the story of David and Goliath, and that's where the story starts. But so, while we have this guy who is very, apparently very creative and very, uh, kind of had a very sensitive temperament, he's also this very courageous, very uh, bold, very valiant warrior. Uh, so even though he's he has this kind of creative, sensitive, tender side to him, uh, he's not the kind of guy you want to be across from in a battle because <laughs> he's a he's a pretty valiant uh, character. See some of the things that we know about David, and much of this then comes out in this Psalm Psalm 18, which is a Psalm of deliverance. And uh, we mentioned the fact that it's a Psalm that that David apparently uh, wrote or composed probably about the time or shortly after his deliverance from Saul, but that it was a psalm that he again apparently, commentators believe, came back to and sang again or had sung again, uh, had others perform it or whatever, at other times of great deliverance in his life. Okay? So... uh, so, given these things we know about the psalm, there were a couple lessons that we learned about suffering and about trouble. Remember what those were? Take, for example, the fact that this particular psalm was written as a psalm of great deliverance and we read it and we go, oh, this is really cool how God came in and, and saved David in this situation from his enemy. But when we consider that it's written, first off, apparently, in reference to his deliverance from Saul, what do we learn about the deliverance of God? Pardon? Okay, there was not, there was not, I was trying to see who was talking here. There was no immediate rescue, okay? So we read this psalm and we think, oh, this is cool. You just cry out to God and he comes and bingo, you're free. You know, you're delivered. Well, that's not quite the way it worked out. So even though you read in the psalm here and it looks like everything happens immediately in, in Paul's, Saul's, excuse me, in David's life, it didn't happen immediately, okay? It was a long, as we said, it was apparently a period of years before he experienced this deliverance. Then, then also from the fact that he, what do we learn about suffering from the fact that he comes back to this psalm and he uses this very psalm again at other times in his life? What does that tell us about suffering and about God's deliverance? Because God's Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Just. 
Just because God has delivered you once, it doesn't mean you're home free, okay? There's going to be other times of crisis in our lives. And I was thinking about that yesterday as I was getting ready again to, to, to go over this psalm today. Uh, that uh, that David goes through this experience of deliverance with Saul and he writes this psalm and then he has other situations, his his uh, uh, the insurrection uh, led by his son Absalom and other other crises that he faced in his life, and he comes back and he comes back to this psalm and he uses this psalm again. Just reminded me of the importance of learning from the suffering that we experience and learning from God's deliverances, so that when we go through suffering in the future, we can go back and rely on and. And, you re- and use and apply the things we learned before. God help us if every time we suffer, we have to go back to ground zero and start over again. Okay? There are things, thankfully, that I have learned in my life through sufferings that I've experienced, and I'm sure this is true in your life as well. There are things that I have learned in my life through suffering in years past so now, when I face a new situation of suffering, I can go back and I go, but I remember what happened back there. And I remember what God did back there. And that helps me and that equips me and that strengthens me for my present suffering. Okay. So those are just some of the things that we talked about last week. And then we began, and we just, just barely began looking at the psalm, where he says in verse 1, he says, I love you, O Lord. My strength. Let's just read a few verses here and we'll cover what we can cover. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me and the torrents of ungodliness terrify me. The cords of shoal surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of His temple and my cry for help before Him came into His ears. Then the earth shook and quaked and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from the mouth from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew and sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him pass his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, the lightning flashes in abundance and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. And then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O God, Lord, the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong or too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my stay. 
He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Well, so he starts out with his declaration of his love for God. And we talked about that last week. We talked about uh, how we need to be careful when we tell God we love him. And yet it is something that obviously he wants us to do. And, uh, and of course, we are commanded to love him. We're to love him with our heart, all of our heart and soul and strength and mind, as the Lord says. And, uh, and so if we are doing that, then it certainly is appropriate that we should tell him we love him. I don't think it's something we should say flippantly. I think oftentimes Christians just kind of throw it out. You know, I love God like they kind of love their dog or whatever, you know. But uh, so it's not something we should say flippantly or something that we should say without careful consideration. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so, so, uh, you know, as I shared last week, I'm very hesitant myself oftentimes to tell God I love him. But it is something that he asks us to do uh, and uh, or he tells us to do to love him. And so certainly it's appropriate that we should express it. But we noticed here uh, last week that the word that David uses here when he says, I love you, is a word that is only used here in the Old Testament in reference of man towards God. In every other case where the word is used in the, in the, excuse me, in the Old Testament, every other place where it's used in the Old Testament, it's in reference to God's love for man. So David is really digging deep down to find a really powerful, significant word here. And the fact is that he has experienced such deliverance from God and he is so overwhelmed by God's goodness to him in this crisis that he has been in that it has just overwhelmed him with his love for God and just increased and intensified his love for God. And then he goes into this description of God. He calls him his strength. He calls him his rock. He calls him his fortress. He calls him his deliverer. He calls him then he goes back, he calls him his rock again. He says, He's the rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And and so in this description that David gives us of God, remember again we're talking about poetry, so we don't want to get bogged down in over analyzing every word. But there are certain kind of patterns that we that we that we get as we look at this psalm, and one of them is that is David's reliance upon nature to describe uh, what God is to him. He starts out saying God is my strength, and later in the psalm he'll elaborate that and explain to us how God was his strength. But then he goes on, and you should notice he talks about God being his rock and he talks about God being his stronghold and he talks about God being his fortress okay these are all these are all expressions that David is using from the experience of his life and for those of you who were here last week we went through as we went very quickly through first Samuel and we looked at about 10 or 12 different deliverances uh, that David had in his experience with Saul. We went through him very quickly and we read just a few verses in about 12 different places in 1 Samuel of David's deliverance or where David was in great peril or like when Saul threw the spear and, and, and missed David and then, and then it happened again and, and then the time David escaped out of the window. And we, so we went through all that very quickly last week. But one of the things that strikes you is 
how several times in that account, in those accounts, this idea of a rock comes up. Okay, that that several times he's hiding behind a rock or he's concealed behind a rock or whatever. Okay, uh, and then we talked about the cave of Adullam and how that was a, apparently in a rock area, a very remote area, and David apparently spent a considerable amount of time there. It was apparently a fairly large cave because it's, at one time there were a number of David's mighty men that were there with him in the cave of Adullam. And this was David's fortress. This is where he hid out in the wilderness and apparently fairly remote because Saul apparently could not locate him when he was hiding out in the cave of Adullam. And so when, when David is speaking about God here, he's using this imagery from, the own, from his own experience in life. And he's talking about how God is his rock and his fortress and his and 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 his and his refuge and and in David's mind he's thinking about how he ran and he hid in these rocks or behind these rocks or he'd run and he'd hide in these various caves that he would go hide in and in those stories that in those accounts we read last week several times we find David in a cave now. What we discover for David is though he is literally, physically hiding in caves. In David's mind, it's not the cave that's hiding him. In David's mind, it's God who's hiding him. And he's, he, so he's, he's finding refuge in the cave, but, but he recognizes that, it's, that that's really God who has provided that protection for him. And it's God that's watching over him. And and if God weren't watching over him, this cave would not be any protection at all. And so, to David, it's not so much that the cave of Adullam was his fortress, but that God was his fortress. We, We always kind of tend to look at the material things, don't we? We look at the physical things in our world. And, and we think that those are the things that are our deliverance or our salvation. But they are not. They are perhaps metaphors for us. They are a picture for us. But ultimately, if we're a child of God, God is our fortress. And God is our refuge. And so this... So as David is thinking about how God has delivered him, he's thinking back in his whole experience, he's recognizing that although he hid behind rocks and he hid in caves and things like that, that really ultimately God had been the one who had saved his life. And God had protected him. Sometimes it takes a little bit of perspective like that, doesn't it? Have you had that experience in your life? You've gone through life and somehow you got through a rough spot and you know, at the time your head was spinning, you really didn't know what was going on and things were pretty scary and terrifying and all that. But later as you look back on it and you look at the circumstances that you have and you go, oh wow. Uh, you know, at the time I was just kind of thinking that was a coincidence. But, but now I realize it was God. God was watching over me. God was loving me. God was taking care of me. And this little circumstance ha- happened, you know. How often do you just thank God for that? You know, uh, we, we park our car in our driveway and our neighbors across the street usually park their vehicles in their driveway, but occasionally they park on the street right behind our driveway, right? So, uh, 
So I'm always very careful when I back out uh, of my driveway. I'm always very careful and I look in both mirrors and I look in the rear view mirror and I look over my, you know, because I have been known to back out into somebody, you know. So many years ago I did <coughs> with my work truck. And so, so I'm very cognizant of that. Except this morning. And I backed out and you know, I thought I'd looked in my mirrors, but apparently I didn't. But I'm backing out. But instead of backing out like I usually do, I just kind of backed out. And I thought, well, I, think I think I'll just cut this a little sharper today. So I cut a little sharper, stopped a little sooner. And so I had to crank my wheels more to turn to pull out into the street, you know. And, you know, I, I don't know why I did it, but then I looked in my mirror. And there was a car right there. And I didn't hit it. And so as I'm driving up, neither Teresa nor Mary knew that it happened, you know, or nearly happened. But as I drove up the street, I just said, thank you, Lord. Because it wasn't my, wasn't my wits, it wasn't my skill at driving that kept me from backing into that car. But it was the Lord. And... You know, how much more would we be in love with God if we just see those kind of things that happen in our life and tell the Lord thank you? I was getting a piece of equipment out of my truck this week to do a job, and and I've done that particular kind of a task before without that equipment, but now I have the equipment. And I was getting that piece of equipment out of my truck to take it over to the to the uh, place where I was going to use it there at the house I was working on. And as I was carrying the equipment, I just said, God, thank you that I have this piece of equipment. Thank you you've provided this for me. This is a blessing. So David recognizes that these experiences he's had in his life are things that God has done. And God has been his fortress. And God has been, as he says, and I believe it's in Psalm 61, he says, God is my strong tower. I have run into him and I am safe. Okay? So this imagery all comes out from David's experience and it's been very real in his life. Yeah? Personal experience kind of contrast. These three verses are the Greek. I'm not hearing this diagnosis for 18 years ago and we were given these verses. Well, 
You know, and that lesson is portrayed for us so graphically in Hebrews chapter 11. Because the writer of Hebrews goes through uh, and he talks about, you know, he talks about all these great people of faith and, you know, Abraham and and Moses and and uh, Sarah and you know and he talks and he talks about how God delivered them uh, and 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 how uh, they were faithful to God and they trusted God and then and then he gets there towards the end of that and he says and then there were the ones who were sawn in two etc 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 and and you know I'm studying this psalm thinking about God as a God of deliverances and I get that email that we got last night about the Christians who are perishing, whose children are being martyred in, in Iraq. You know. So we have, that's why it's important for us to understand that this psalm is not telling us that if any problem we face in life, when we cry out to God for deliverance, we're going to see immediately the deliverance. The writer of Hebrews says, all these died in faith without having received the promise. And, and so I understand that the psalm is intended not to tell us that we will be instantly delivered in any crisis we face. But it's written to tell us how God feels and cares about our suffering. And to understand that when we suffer, He acts every time. But we don't always see it. It's not always obvious. And for David, it went on for years. And yet, as he looked back on it, he could say, God delivered me here and God delivered me here. And, but, but, I, but I couldn't see it at the time. And if you read Psalms that he wrote while he was going through that, he's in a panic. He's freaking out. Okay. But then afterwards, when he goes back and he looks at it, then he can write Psalm 118 or Psalm 18. Okay, it's a great point, Bob, and it's a point we need to keep in mind. So, so he talks about uh, God as his fortress, as his refuge. He said, then he then he draws in some images from warfare. He talks about God being his shield and God being the horn of my salvation. He's talking about horn there. He's talking about an animal's horn. Okay like on a wild animal. Uh, this week, I've been working over in a part of town, and so when it was time to eat lunch, I'd get in my truck and drive over to a little area where it's kind of open and kind of nice to sit and eat lunch or so. And it just so happened, there's some people live there, and in their backyard, or they have a large back, they have one of those, I don't know what they call, but it's this huge beast. Uh, I don't know how you can do this in Norman City Limits, but they got this huge, you know, it's like a, it's like a huge overgrown cow or bull, you know, and it has these giant horns. We're not talking about Texas Longhorns here. It has these two giant horns that come out either side of the head. And at the head, they're about this big around, you know, by the head. And they go out to a point. I actually saw a picture of one on the Internet recently, and the name of them, I forget the name. But they go out about four feet on either side, okay? Just two big, huge horns, just, you know, like that. Strangest looking critter, you know. And But I tell you what, I didn't park close to the fence. You know, he just looked sinister. (laughs) He just looked sinister. Okay. That's the idea. Those horns are the idea of power and strength and something you don't want to mess with. Okay. 
And that's what God is to him. God is his horn. The horn of his salvation, he says. Well, so he says, because that's the way God is, he says in verse 3, he says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Now, notice that's in the present tense there. So what David is saying, this is my habit. Because this is what God is for me. This is my habit. My habit is, I pray to God who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And I find it interesting that little phrase he puts in there, who is worthy to be praised. Why does he put that in there? Well, I don't know for sure, but but it just seems to me, here's David and he's he's there in... Uh, he's there in, in Israel, and, uh, and, but he's surrounded by nations that worship other gods. He's surrounded by people who worship other gods. But they are not gods that are worthy to be praised. The God we pray to is the God who is worthy to be praised. Because He's just and He's righteous and He's holy and He's compassionate and He's loving. He's transcendent and He's imminent. He's, he's all of these things. He's not like the gods of the nations where they just, you know, I need a God like this, so they make one like that. Or I need a God like... But that's not our God. Our God is this awesome, great, loving, compassionate, holy, righteous, valiant God. That's our God. Well, then he describes his situation. Do you need something, Jim? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is a terrible interruption. I forgot to mention, you've got a notice on page uh, 10. Wait, I'm really sorry, Rick. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. The adult community crew. Uh, some of you guys have been involved in this, actually. Uh, there's been several members of our class who've come, like uh, Ron and Sheila, for example. This is the one that met at the bank's house, and they stopped at their house, and now it's moving to my house. And so we've got a group of folks that have been, and they're going to come. And so, but any of you guys are invited. Um, Great. Basically, it's a fellowship group. We kind of do a book, study through a book, and get together and have meals at various times. It's, you know, once or twice a month, kind of the deal. So, yeah, all you guys are invited. This is a personal invitation from me. Okay? Great. Thank you, Jim. That's all right. That's all right. So then he describes his crisis. In verse 4 and verse 5, he says, The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And, And so we see this this description that David paints of his of this crisis that God has delivered him out of. And he talks about the cords of death and the cords of soul. And he talks about how they've surrounded him or they've encompassed him. So it's the picture that he's, he's actually bound up by the cords of death. You know? It's the picture we get of somebody who's been Somebody who's been seized and they've been tied up and they're going to be killed. Okay, uh, you know, and you know, we can kind of think about that and kind of picture that because we see it in movies and things like this. But 
David is not coming up with this picture from movies he's seen. David says, this, this is what my life was like for years. As I was, I was bound up, I was, I was constrained, I was tied up, I couldn't go where I wanted to go, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I had to hide in caves and, and, and run and, and flee and go live with the Philistines. And, and I had to do all these things and I wasn't free because I was bound up by the threat of death. And he says, the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. That word ungodliness there could be simply terrified destruction. Uh, excuse me, could be translated destruction. So he says, so he says the, the torrents, the torrents of destruction terrified me. And, and uh, there again, we get, this, the, we get a picture from, from nature, okay? And, and we can kind of relate to this a little bit. We live in Oklahoma, and we have these horrific thunderstorms. And he's going to use a, a kind of a thunderstorm image here in the verses that follow. He's going to bring that up. But, 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 you know, because we live in Oklahoma, most of us kind of like thunderstorms, right? We kind of groove. And when they start to roll in, we kind of go, you know, we stick our heads out the window or we go get the lawn chair and we put it out in the yard and we for a while, right? But you've seen some thunderstorms when you didn't want to do that, right? Because pretty soon those clouds start rolling in and it starts getting blacker and blacker and then that wind starts cracking up and, you know, and it starts getting up there about 50 and 60 miles, 70 miles an hour and branches are starting to fly. You know, about that time you go in the house, right? Because it gets pretty scary. And then the torrent starts. Then the rain starts coming down. And it starts coming down, you know, in the inches by the hour. It gets pretty scary. And you start getting flash floods. And, and because we live in Oklahoma, we know what those things can do. And we know how quickly they can come and how terrifying they can be if you're in a dangerous place. Maybe you're out on the road driving or you've... You're out in the field and you can't get to a safe place and you've been caught. You know, it's a scary thing. And David says, David says, the torrents of ungodliness and the torrents of destruction have terrified me. And so I like that image because here's a man of God. Here's a guy who trusts God, who believes God is his Savior. But he's in a situation that he is terrified by. And then he says, in the next verse, he says, the snares of death confronted me. When I was in the army, it was during the Vietnam War. And, uh, you know, in basic training, fortunately, I never had to go to Vietnam. So God was kind to me in that regard. Uh, but I had to be trained to go to Vietnam because I, eventually I was going to be a medic and most medics went to Vietnam. I got, uh, thankfully, got another assignment. But, but, when you were in basic training in the army during the Vietnam War, one of the things they taught you about were about all those snares and traps that the Viet Cong would use. You know, the, the landmines that they would set in the trails that you would walk on and, and, or the tripwires. And you'd, you'd be walking through the you know, jungle. You don't look for tripwires in the jungle, right? I mean, how do you see a tripwire in the jungle, you know? But they put these trip marks, and you'd be walking through the jungle, and they'll set off a claymore, and it'd blast shrapnel right in your face, and, and 
and kill you. Or they'd dig these pits in the ground and they would put, uh, put uh, spikes in the ground. And then on the tips of these spikes, they would put like dung or poison or whatever. So, and then they'd cover these pits so you couldn't see them. And you would step on them and you'd fall and you'd fall on these. It's horrible, right? These are the snares of death. And David says, that's how I live my life. For years, I live my life confronted by the snares of death. Now, that's pretty extreme. What David went through is pretty extreme. And, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, I've never been through what David's been through. I, I, you know, I, I didn't have to live. With, I've never had to live with a king chasing me. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't had to live like that. Or I think about what our fellow believers are going through today in Iraq, and I go, I've, you know, I've never had to experience anything like that. I've never, you know, I, I can't even conceive of it. I can't, I can't deal with it. It's just overwhelming. Just to think about it. And so I think, what are my little problems? What are my little problems? Why am I so shook up about my little problems? You know what's wrong with that line of thinking? The problem with that line of thinking is, is that I go, well, if I had the problems that those people in Iraq are having, then I would need to trust God. But my little problems are so little, I don't need to trust God. I should be, I should be able to handle this. When a bill comes due, I can't pay. The person at work who's... who's making fun of me because of my faith in Christ. You know, those are little compared to, these, to what David went through. They're little compared to what, what our fellow believers in other parts of the world are going through. So, so why am I sweating it? I don't need God. I should be, I should be able to handle you know, If I had a big problem with that, I, I, I would need God. But every problem we face is designed to drive us to Christ. And I don't care what it is. Every problem we face is designed to drive us to Christ. I shared it at the Christmas party uh, last year. I shared this little uh, confession with you all about, about how I am about losing things at work. Right? And I... You know, I set a tool down or something, and you know, I'm so absent-minded sometimes at work. I wonder how I do anything right. And I set, you know, I set a tool down, and I go about, and then I go, "Where's that putty knife?" You know, or where's that? You know, I spent 20 minutes today, this week, walking around a house, time after time after time, looking for a bucket of paint. I'd set down a bucket of paint, folks, on the outside of a house. <laughs> I walked around the house eight times looking for a bucket of paint. And I would not pray about it. Because it was too little. 
And I was determined I was going to find that bucket of paint without God's help. And I didn't. I was mad. And I said, God, help me find that bucket of paint. (laughs) Next time around the house, there it was. Sitting on the bird bath right where I put it. In plain sight. So David said, when I was in a crisis, he says, verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and and I cried to my God for help, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help came before him into his ears. Well, we'll explore more of that next week. But this week, whatever problem you got, don't go, eh, I can handle this one. Just go ahead. Call on the Lord. Okay? All right.